brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Radio on time on target episode 471. This is the how did you word it? The Independence Day extravaganza. <laughs> well, we'll talk a little bit about uh, General Washington and uh, the Revolutionary War. I got a few things here in front of me. We'll, we'll get into. I, I I don't think I'm quite ready to do like a, a big deep dive. It's not necessarily my area of history, but there's some things we can touch on about the Battle of New York. I. I I saw the piece you sent, um, well written. So, oh, you read it. The, the author did a phenomenal job. <laughs> it's it's going to be run on uh, on the on thenewsrep.com. Oh, so it'll, it'll be up there. People there you go. There's a tease. Yeah, um, we're not going to waste any time because, as we said in the last episode, which is also part of what we're doing right now. We're doubling up so we can enjoy the Fourth of July. So, thank Have you. Some burgers. Thank you, George Washington, so we can eat hot dogs and hamburgers. Um, we're going to bring on Joe LaFave and also your buddy Josh to talk about the uh, American Legion, correct? Yes. Uh, I haven't heard back from Josh. Hopefully, we'll call him. He's either there or he won't be. If we leave him a message, we're leaving it in the podcast. Um, <laughs> but we're not even going to waste any time. I'm going to do a read quick, and we're going to get right to Joe. So thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoy Joe. And this show is brought to you by Crate Club. It's a club for men by men of gear handpicked by special operations military veterans. Visit crateclub.us for an exclusive promotion for our listeners of 20% off your subscription. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long we can keep this promotion live. So go to crateclub.us and use the coupon code SOFTREP and get 20% off any subscription. That's crateclub.us, coupon code SOFTREP, S-O-F-R-E-P, for 20% off. Sign up now. And with that, we welcome on Joe LaFave. Joining us now, we welcome on uh, your colleague at the news rep. Uh, make sure you read his articles along with yours. Uh, I have two questions for him right after. Before, I'm gonna, let me do the intro, and then I, got, I have two questions I'd like to ask him. He's a journalist for the news rep. He covers finance, maritime issues, healthcare, the National Guard, and confl- conflicts around the world. Before becoming a journalist... He was an EMT in Florida and an environmental health and safety engineer for Lockheed Martin, supporting several DOD and NASA satellites. He got his master's of science and management from Southern New Hampshire University and a BS from Florida State University. So my first two questions for you. First, Joe, is Willie Taggart the answer for Florida State football? (laughs) He might be. You know, he seems to want to stay there, and I think that Florida State values – you know, a, a community and a team focus. They value loyalty, and I think with Taggart, they might have found it. Okay, because obviously Jimbo uh, hightailed it. 
Yeah, he had no loyalty, and I think that rubbed everyone the wrong way. And secondly, before uh, before I let Jack speak to you, your last piece up on the news rep. Um, this was written Tuesday. We are. This will be. This is coming out Friday. You wrote a piece, an op-ed piece about the most popular songs during the Vietnam War. Um, yeah. Have you Have you read this yet, Jack? No, I haven't. Okay, I'm going to read you the first paragraph, and you're gonna You're gonna enjoy this. Okay. Okay. I just finished reading Michael Hur's Dispatches, his book about the year or so he spent in Vietnam. During the war as a correspondent for Esquire, I read the book at least once per year, often twice. To me, it's the best book ever written about war or anything else. Now, here's the kicker. Although, if you haven't read Jack Murphy's Murphy Law, I highly encourage you to do so. That's such a kiss-ass that thing is- to write an article there. <laughs> I got to plug my boss, man. It, it's, a good, if- it's a good book. The author's kind of a pain in the ass, but... I, I mean... I know that I, I work for Jack, but I mean, he's also a friend and, and his book is really good. And it's what I liked about it the most was that it's not a um, classic war memoir. It's a very, it's a very honest and a very real look at, at Jack Murphy's time in the military and as a journalist. And that uh, candor, I think he shows in the book is what makes it for me stand out. Yeah, no, thank you, Joe. I mean, I think uh, that's really what I've heard from a lot of people that it's not like a typical war memoir that it, it, it's kind of, has all the grit in there <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of just tells it how it is and um, doesn't try to glorify anything, or at least I hope it doesn't. Yeah, definitely not. It, it struck me as a, as a genuine piece of, of journalism and, and uh, autobiography. Yeah, man. I mean, we'll see. Uh, hopefully, you know, it resonates with some people. But what was the uh, – there's another article you wrote that you want to come on and talk about today. Yeah. Um, so I actually, so a lot of, I've had a, gone through a lot of changes, um, in the last few months, I moved to Virginia. Um, I took a full-time job with a local newspaper here in West Virginia. So I'm a, uh, a regular beat reporter now, um, for the first time and I'm covering local news for the first time in like two years. So I'm getting back into that. But, um, the other day I, I had a story come across my desk that I went and followed up with and uh, my editor said, hey, the Angolan Defense Ministry is going to be in town and they're going to go look at a bee, uh, like a beehive farm and learn how to make honey. And they said, why don't you go up there and take a look? So I did. And I went up there and I took a look and what I thought was going to be a really basic story about what was going on, I actually found this really interesting program that the state of West Virginia has uh, for its veterans, and it, and it involves agriculture, and it involves getting veterans interested in agriculture. Um, so I want to come in and talk about that and, and what I learned about that program and just how interesting I thought it was. Yeah, that is interesting. So uh, what what is this program? So it's called the... Um, Veterans and Warriors to Agriculture Program. It's it's through the West Virginia Department of Agriculture. But what they try to do is they try to work with veterans, you know, military veterans, and help them learn how to work in agriculture and then learn how to set up their own small businesses and get their goods to market. So they have all these different programs all throughout the state where veterans can kind of choose what part of agriculture that they're interested in get hooked up with a mentor, learn how to, you know, these guys have, you don't have to have any prior experience in agriculture whatsoever. All you have to do is be a veteran and have interest. And they pair you up with a mentor and you kind of pick your, your crop or your, um, what kind of farm you want to have. You know, they have a cattle 
program as well, and you learn through this free program how to be a successful agriculture business owner. So the one I looked at was a uh, a bee farm. It's actually they're technically called apiaries, which I learned. So it's an apiary, and uh, veterans go through this. 16-hour program and learn the basics of beekeeping. And then if they find that they're interested in becoming beekeepers, whether it be for uh, as as a hobby or as a therapy or even as a small business, they can keep going back and working with this mentor and they, you know, help set up their own hives. They help cultivate the honey and they help um, bring that honey to market. And I got to meet uh, you know, some people from the local VA here in Martinsburg, West Virginia, which is a, a really big VA center. And I met some folks from the West Virginia uh, Departments of Veterans Affairs. I met their um, secretary. And then I met the guy who actually runs the program, um, who's a veteran veteran himself, but has spent the last 10 years or so as a, uh, I guess, an apiarist, a bee farmer. I still don't know the it's proper vernacular for how to describe it. A beekeeper works, right? Yeah. Yeah, we'll do beekeeper. But I always think of beekeeper, but I guess I, I, I beekeeper works, but they do more than just keep the bees. They also harvest and sell the honey. So right. they're really small, self-contained business owners. Um, you know, what was cool is when I was talking to the, the guy who runs it, and because, um, you know, he, he's a volunteer. You know, they don't make any money from helping the veterans. And I, and he, I asked him, like, hey, well, you know, why do you do this? And he said, well, I'm a vet myself. And um, he sees the value that is given to these veterans and that's why he keeps doing it. And he says that there's something about when a veteran, you know, through these agriculture programs, because they're taking care of a, of a live thing and mm-hmm. they're tending to it. And it's very, especially bees, from what I'm told, are, are, are very temperamental. And it's like a, you know, when you look <laughs> at a beehive, it's like a, they call it like some kind of word, like a macro organism. Because it's really one or the hive is really one organism in and of in and of itself. Right. And it's very labor intensive. And something about getting involved with something that intensive and working with your hands and getting dirty that really brings um, a sense of purpose to these veterans. Yep. And so that's kind of the whole point of the uh, of the VAs of the uh, Department of Agriculture's program is to you know get these veterans involved in something that they can you know make money on and also give them a sense of purpose again which i you know i'm not a veteran myself but from talking to a lot of veterans you know that sense of camaraderie and that sense of purpose after they leave the military you know is one reason why it can be so hard to transfer to civilian life so the, they'll actually like get you up in the whole like beekeeper outfit and you go and like tend to the hive and all that Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they had the 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 beekeeper suit. They had the little smoke cans. I mean, there's bees flying everywhere. It was for a guy who's afraid of of bugs like myself. It was pretty much a nightmare because <laughs> like you pull up and the bees are just like they have like their hives, you know. But like they're also this like free roaming. So there's big clouds of bees and like I show up and I'm in like my suit and tie and I'm like, hey, I'm from the local paper. And a bee lands on my shirt and I kind of brush it off and they run up. They're like, man, you can't swat them. <laughs> I'm like, oh, what happens if you swat them, you know? But, um, yeah, so they, I mean, it's the whole thing. You know, they learn not only how to do, like, the practical stuff, like, hey, here's how you, you know, use the smoke gun to agitate the bees, and here's how you withdraw the honey from the hive. I mean, they learn um, all about the physiology of the bees themselves, you know, the, the relationship between the queen and the workers and the drones and how that whole life cycle works. So it's 
you know, part hands-on knowledge and part of it's the, the, the actual science of it. That's really Which cool. is very complicated. So there were some guys there who uh, are veterans themselves. I think they were both Army veterans, and they are both um, – GWAT veterans. Uh, one actually works on staff at the uh, Secretary of the Army's office. And they were there, and they had been through the program, and they had kept going back. Um, one of them does it now just as a hobby and as a therapy because he was wounded uh, in Iraq in 2004. Um, he lost a leg, and he says that, um, you know, doing the beekeeping stuff has really helped him, you know, get a sense of a new normal. And uh, another guy there, um, another GWAT veteran, he's been doing the program for about six years, I think. And now he has his own commercially viable, um, honey farm in West Virginia. But he told, um, you know, he's told the program manager, Hey, you know, this program saved my life because it really did give him such a sense of, of purpose. And he says that, um, you know, the guy who runs it, Ed Forney is his name. Um, you know, he says that he, he sees these guys come in and, um, you know, he sees their eyes light up. And that's what the uh, director of the VA center here in, in Martinsburg said, that when he sees veterans who have gone through the program and are interested in it, he engages them by talking about it. He says their eyes light up. And um, it's just like a really cool, like a really, something that I would never have thought of, you know, learning about um, how we can help veterans. And it was very interesting because it's almost like, West Virginia is using what's available to them. You know, there's a right, lot of farm. Right. It's a coal state, but there's a lot of agriculture here, and uh, it's kind of a symbiotic relationship between the veterans and the in the state. Yeah, and like any time, you know, I think when guys work behind a computer too much, like I do, you can become kind of withdrawn and like just yeah. like internalize everything. Um, so, I mean, I think getting out there and like kind of doing something with your hands and having like a project to work on, I, I can see, I can see what you're saying, how that's beneficial for people. Yeah. Um, and I, and I was, I was really surprised that, that it was going on. So the Angolans were there um, the whole point of the story that I wrote for, uh, the local paper here, which is the journal, uh, it's in Martinsburg. Uh, the whole point of the story was that the Angolan defense ministry, has recognized the success of this program and they want to duplicate it in their own country because after, you know, decades of civil war, the country has a huge population of veterans. And Angola that, is a mess. Yeah. That country is a disaster basically. I mean, it's not and it's not as bad as like Turkmenistan or Syria, but it's still in a really bad way. Yeah. So they're looking for any type of solution that they can find to uh, help these veterans. And what they like about these agriculture programs in specific is the fact that not only does it help with mental health, but it also gets them employed mm-hmm. and also generates money for the, uh, for the country. Right. Right. So they were very excited, um, to come and visit and they're, uh, the local defense attache at the Angolan ministry, um, an army colonel, he, you know, he accompanied them and, and kind of acted as a translator. So it was a really cool opportunity to see some different programs that people might not be aware of uh, that are available for veterans. And, um, you know, what Ed said, the guy who runs the program, he said that he wants to make sure that the guys who need it the most can get it. And, um, you know, he says sometimes the people who need programs like these the most, we see the least. True. And, uh, you know, he was very adamant about, um, you know, when someone comes into the program, they don't ask why are you here? You know, what's your background? They want to keep it as non-judgmental as possible. And they, you know, they want um, vets to feel comfortable. And I think that's also very important because, 
you know, as, as you guys both know, I mean, there's a stigma around mental health, even today, even yeah. in 2019, and we've made huge strides, but there still is that stigma. Do they um, have, uh, are there other programs aside from beekeeping that do like animal husbandry or, or I don't know, I don't know anything about farming. So, so I don't either, but luckily I did ask that question to the, uh, Department of Agriculture in West Virginia, and they said they do uh, they do livestock, so they do cattle, they mm-hmm. do beekeeping, um, they actually do maple like, oh, syrup. Cool, that's like a, uh, a a what's the word a a growing industry here in West Virginia, which I was unaware of. But they they do maple things like that, and they're always trying to expand it. Um, he did say though that uh, the beekeeping program is probably the largest so far in the state. Interesting. Um, but they're you know they got bamboo, um, lavender, so all all sorts of stuff, wow. it, it, and they kind of try to tailor it to what the veteran's interested in. So if you have a guy who comes in and says, like, hey, I'm afraid of bees, but I'm really interested in maple syrup. Oh well, there's a guy you know four hours away who does maple syrup, and we'll put you in contact with him. No, that's really cool, and those are like programs that. If you don't know about them, you don't know about them, you know, but people should know that this stuff is out there for them. Yeah, and you and you know that's the thing, right? Like. If you're not a patient at the VA or if you don't feel – I mean, even if you are a patient at the VA, you know, how, how do you broach that subject with your physician? You know, like, hey, I'm, I'm looking – because I don't think a lot of veterans are going to walk in there necessarily and say to their primary care doctor, hey, I'm, I'm lacking purpose in my life right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think letting people know that, hey, there are these programs out there and they're non-judgmental and they have uh, – you know, they're I wouldn't say tried and true, but the veterans have gone through them. A lot of them have, have given it very positive reviews and credited it with saving their lives. So I think it's important to, to get the word out about things like that. And, you know, it makes me wonder how many programs and things there are for veterans out there like this that we don't know about. Yeah, there's a lot. So, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the gist of it. It's a really cool program up here, and I was super uh, happy to get the chance to see them, and, the, and they're all great guys. So and yeah. anything that we can do to – to help vets, you know, I, that's always like a, a, a political talking point, you know, we're going to help our vets, but it's nice to see it in action. Right. Right. No, it's something versus tangible. just a bullet on a website. So, yeah, no, I appreciate it, Joe. Um, and speaking of which we got to give my buddy Josh a call to talk about the American Legion, uh, reopening or, or, I don't know if reopening is the right word, but over in Hoboken, New Jersey. Is there anything else you wanted to float out there um, before we let you go? Uh, no, you know, I'm, I'm still at the news rep uh, writing stuff. Um, you know, if, if, the, if there's readers out there listening and they'd like me to cover specific things, they're interested in things, I encourage them to let me know. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not uh, pigeonholed into one, one beat or anything like that. And, you know, with news rep, we always want to write content that's, geared for our readers and the best way that i can do that is to have reader feedback so if you're listening and there's things that you're interested in that i'm that i'm not covering and you want me to feel free to to reach out you know i still try to um keep track of the ebola outbreak in the drc which is uh, a nightmare and i still try to keep my eye on maritime issues and um you know we got an election coming up next year so there'll be some more political pieces but there's probably tens of tens and dozens of things that people are interested in that I'm not covering. And I, I encourage people to let me know and I'll do my best. And if you're looking for Joe, reach out to him on Twitter at Lafave Joseph, L-A-F-A-V-E, and then Joseph spelled traditionally. 
Yeah, I need some more followers. It's embarrassing. Oh, we'll help you out here. Hit Fo- him up. Follow Joe, please. I just want the blue check. That's why I got into this business. Just that blue check. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it, guys. It was great talking to you, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, oh, thanks, thank you. Joe. Anytime you want to you want to come back on, talk about a story or something like that, just let me know. Will do, sir. I appreciate it. And right. Dennis, good to meet you, man. Pleasure. It's all mine, Joe. Thank you very much for the uh, patience yeah, be- and everything. You guys have a good day. All right. You too, you man. Same. Thanks. Bye. So Joshua Lee's, I think this is like the second time we've had you on, right? Yeah. The last time I was on, I was on with Mike. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. We had called in from the same place from Mulligan's. We were all drinking. That's right. <laughs> so yeah. I know Joshua, uh, he lives over in Hoboken, New Jersey. He was a civil affairs soldier. Um, and we, uh, I, I met him all. I also knew him through, uh, with Michael Schlitz and we used to do the tunnel to towers thing and all that jazz. And, but you wanted to come on and talk about the American Legion, like basically like reopening in Hoboken. Yeah. Um, which you're also a new proud member of. Uh, yeah. I need to, so- I need to give you my information. Yeah, just that DD-214 whenever you get a chance so we can start drinking together. Stolen valor, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so basically what happened was um, there was an American Legion, like, in Hoboken, as a lot of American Legions are around the country. It was just a bunch of old guys hanging out. Great guys. you know, Talking about banging their way through Southeast Asia. Yeah, yeah. But um, so I became a member because they approached me. They knew that there were some veterans from like GWA era veterans in town and uh, I wanted to support them, but uh, it was really kind of lame. It was just like an old kind of garage. It was nice, but it was like, you know, a six pack of Schlitz beer in the refrigerator and uh, a bottle of cheap vodka in the, in the freezer. The dusty and, POW MIA flag in the corner of the room. Yeah. So the greatest thing that came out of Hurricane Sandy was the place was destroyed. <laughs> and uh, I mean, and also I drank a lot for like five days straight. But uh, so what happened after that was a weird chain of events where all of a sudden the community around here got really heavily involved in trying to raise money to open a new one. And then money kind of just started pouring in in a way that I didn't think it was going to. And somebody got this idea to build a brand new building, five stories tall, where we would house homeless veterans on the third, fourth, and fifth floor. And uh, on the second floor, they decided that they were going to have a bar, which, which they gave to me. Which, on the surface of it, sounds like a dicey proposition. We're having the homeless veterans on floors three, four, and five, and we're having a, a bar on the second floor. Well, the, yeah. So, like, it was kind of a weird thing, and we had to sell it. Uh, but we assured everybody that we bet the homeless veterans very, like, very well, and they would have zero access to that. And the bar on the second floor would be like a congregation point for all the veterans to, uh, to come meet up. So uh, for about three years, they raised the money. They started construction on the building last year, uh, and we're actually cutting the ribbon on Monday. Wow. Uh, everything's done. The bar, as you've seen, is pretty awesome. I uh, got Rifles stacked from World War II to GWA era behind the bar. Uh, it's just, it's going to be a great place for a lot of veterans to hang out. And I kind of urge anybody that's living in this area to come take a look. And uh, if you are a veteran, I mean, it's as simple as a copy of your DD-214 and a $35 check. And you, you showed me pictures of the bar, that, that like amazing bar top that they made out of like a solid piece of wood. 
Yeah, dude. So what they did was I got these Marines from uh, from Newark. They're all firefighters. And on the side, what they do is they do like woodwork. And so they got a sequoia tree from California. And they brought it to these other guys who do like all this like groundbreaking stuff with epoxy. And they made an American flag bar. And it's just, it's like mind blowing. Super cool, man. And, and so then the program for the homeless veterans is what they're going to get referred to you guys by the VA. Yeah. The VA takes the lead on it, but we ultimately have the vetting on who gets to come in. And who, uh, and right now we have six slots and these apartments that we have are like balls to the wall. Awesome. And they're fully furnished. So we want to kind of get guys that not like ship bags, but more along the lines, like they can't support themselves for right. whatever reason. Like, right. Um, and so the vetting process actually has been somewhat of a challenge, but we're in a position now where it looks like the guys we're going to have there truly, I don't want to say deserve to be there, but need help and right. are not like they, yeah. And they're going to get this great opportunity. And it's not just like a free ride either. Like they're going to be like things that they criteria that they have to meet. It's not like they just get a free apartment. They can sit there and, you know, do whatever. There's going to be like some uh, social gonna, services and so on involved. Yeah. Like, I mean, if there is a chance to rehabilitate for whatever reason, if it's physically, mentally, uh, we're going to have those services for that. And hopefully someday, hopefully in the near future, get them back out there so that they can support themselves on their own if they can physically. It's pretty amazing that that the American Legion was able to put this all together. And it's really cool that it's not just a, a drinking club that you're trying to, you know, actually do something for homeless veterans at the same time. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I call it a congregation area. That's like the bar. That's the bar is a bar, but it's also more than that. You got guys here that just want to hang out with the younger guys. We have a guy who fought in World War II and Korea, and he just really wants to sit there and have a half a beer and talk about what we went through as we're all sitting there trying to find out what he went through. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a good way to span the generations, and, uh, and it's just as helpful for them as it is for us. Like, and I've, when I went in there, there were three GWAT era guys, like Iraq, Afghanistan. Now we're up to 89. Wow. Yeah. Actually, when I get your DD-214, then it's 90. So, <laughs> Okay. I will yeah. uh, so, I'll, I'll pull that up for you. All right. So, yeah. So, if anybody's interested in joining, uh, you know, you could put my information out there. I could put the information out for the Legion. It's Hoboken Post 107. Uh, you can always find me there or at Mulligan's or email me or call me. I'm available for anybody. That's awesome, Josh. And, um, and the opening is this Monday. Yeah, they're gonna do the like the dog and pony show with all the politicians and stuff. But uh, Cory Booker coming out? No, uh, Senator Menendez actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, that's just kind of the minutiae stuff that you got to deal with. Um, but it's all good, man. It's all gravy. And then the second phase, when you come out here again, uh, I'll show you on the backside. There's a second phase that they want to do in about a year where we're going to build more housing for homeless veterans. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. So this is an ongoing process and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I'll have follow-ups. I'll let everybody know what's going on. But, and if, even if you're not from around here and you're like a veteran from another part of the country and you come into the New York area, you're always more than welcome to come in. Uh, if you want to come to New York and have a walk around and you're looking just to get out of the city for the day, Hoboken is about 10 minutes away. So yeah, 
it's going to be a good time. Yeah, you can jump on the PATH train. I mean, I think most people who live here know this, but I mean, if you, you can jump on the PATH train right into Hoboken, and like you said, it's like a 15-minute ride. Yeah, I think, you, I think you remember many, many, many times coming out here on the PATH, uh, path train. I'm just not sure you remember going back. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, the problem is, there's some truth the problem to is that. When you, you and I get together, there's a lot of, a lot of whiskey. Yeah, man. So, there are a couple of times where I, uh, I got home and I remember telling my wife, like the next morning, like, I have no idea how I navigated the New York city subway system and, and arrived back at our apartment. <laughs> you did it, man. You pull out those fucking ranger skills and they somehow did it when I closed. <laughs> Land nav skills. All right, well, listen, brother, I got to get back to work. Um, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Uh, I'll, Hopefully, maybe like we'll link up next week or the week after. All right. All right. Yeah, you got to show me the new plays. I will absolutely hundred percent. All right. Now I got to get to that women's World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good luck, Josh. <laughs> All right. Later, bro. That was <laughs> that was our um, Independence Day extravaganza episode. I mean, well, that was good. That was uh, you know talking about the American Legion reopening and uh, and veterans programs down in West Virginia. Some some good stuff. I can already tell that I like Josh. He's a character. We we can I can get him in studio. As you can see, it's takes some arm wrestling because he's all over the fucking place. But I, I can get him in studio. I can tell I already like. And him. I can get I can get him to tell you stories about uh, going to the Congo as a civil affairs guy, and uh, he'll tell you some funny ass stories about how his squad leader got um, sent home after their first day in uh, the Congo. One day in, he he had, he had a bit of a. Uh, a um, What's the word I'm looking for? The British might call it a fortnight <laughs> Invol- involving hard liquor and Congolese prostitutes. Oh, whoa. Okay. And, and the defense intelligence agency catching wind of it and sending him home. Yeah, that'll get you the boot. That'll do it. That'll do it. That's remind, yeah, it reminds me of uh, when I was in Senegal and the uh, taxi, one of the taxi cab drivers, he's driving me, he's like, you, you, you like girls? You want me to take you to the girls? You like, you like the girls? I'm like, no. No, no, no thank th- you. Yeah, thanks, but no thanks. Thank you, sir. Can you please just take me to my destination? Uh, see, I feel like they're in cahoots, like the, the cab drivers and the, oh, yeah. and the ladies oh, yeah. of the night. Oh, yeah. They're getting kickbacks. Oh, for, for sure. sure. That and then um, you can't really trust the cab drivers either. Like, I'll next tell you. Know, he's behind you. It's, uh, it's, it's frustrating. Um, a lot of the countries I've gone to, it's weird that it's not just the language barrier. It's, it's like I'll tell them to like, take, me, take me here, try to show them on the map. And like, I don't know where that is. Like, this is your hometown. How do you not know? So then I'll tell them, like, in Senegal, that was one of the places. I'm like, okay, if you don't know where that is, just take me to the presidential palace or president, whatever and they and call I'll walk it. walk from there. And, and they, they don't know how to take you there either. It's like, okay, this is just getting stupid at this point. They don't, or they're, uh, I feel, I mean, this could be stereotyping, but I feel like they look at us as dumb Americans. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they do. It's, uh, in, in that country, I think the term is Tubob, which is the, <laughs> is the white guy. They're talking about you. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the U.S. of A. for this 4th of July episode. Um, I've been reading this book called Special Operations During the American Revolution, by a retired colonel named Robert Tonsetic. Uh, Tonsetic. Um, really good book. Really enjoying it. It's, um, there's no such thing as special operations back in those days, if you want to get technical about it. 
but there was definitely a such thing as a regular warfare, a mm-hmm. guerrilla warfare. Um, it was something that we picked up largely from the Native Americans. So before the Revolutionary War, there was like six conflicts. There's like the King George's War. There's the French and Indian War. There were all these little bushfire wars where we were fighting the Native Americans or we were fighting the French or, or whoever. Um, and at various times, we were allied with the Native American tribes, some of them, or the enemy we were fighting was allied with certain other tribes. So the, the sort of like Napoleonic... Uh, style of fighting in large military formations and getting marched around in formation and lining up and shooting at each other. That was kind of uh, not really a thing for us because uh, the way the Native Americans fought was more guerrilla warfare. They were fighting through ambushes and raids and things like this um, out in the, the rugged countryside. My next book, after I finished this, I already read the first chapter of, of this book, um, Diplomacy by Henry Kissinger. And he talks early on in the book about how Americans have a certain zealotry almost for freedom because we're descended from a frontier culture. We, our ancestors desired freedom so much that they left behind their homes in Europe. They came to the United States and literally cleared a path into the wild frontier of America <laughs> to build a new home. And that mentality influences us to this day, and it has influenced how we project ourselves out into the world and that we have this idea um, that freedom is so important that we need to, God damn it, we need to teach the rest (laughs) of the world about freedom too. And uh, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes we go out into places like Iraq and we think that we unseat the government there and and some sort of Jeffersonian democracy is going to spring up. This wellspring of freedom is going to come about and, and it doesn't. Um, on the other hand, we have gone to Europe several times fighting several world wars to make sure that goddamn freedom triumphs over the forces of fascism. Um, and then after that, we fought the, the communist menace all over the world, uh, ensuring that this, this evil ideology does not spread and contaminate the entire globe. Um, so on one hand, we've been these, these ardent defenders of freedom. Um, but at times we've become zealots about it and thinking that we can just go and bully foreign populations and that, that you know, the sort of freedom in the system of governance that we have is going to come about. And that just doesn't happen. Um, so we have to find a balance. And I think this is something that Dr. Kissinger would agree with if you read his writings, that we have to calibrate um, our desire to spread freedom with a sense of realism and what can be realistically accomplished. And the United States has a very unique um, approach to foreign policy because of where we're geographically located, because we're surrounded by um, friendly countries like Canada. Um, Okay, we have our problems with Mexico, but they're not really a threat to the United States per se. And then on the other sides, we have the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. So what this has done is it's allowed us to decide not just how we want to pursue our foreign policy, but if we have this option We have an option of engaging with the world. We can decide not to if we don't want to. So that has put America in a very unique position. Um, And I wrote for for our website, for the news rep, it'll be up on there um, over the coming days as we go into the 4th of July holiday, is about uh, George Washington and the battle for New York, which happened right here um, in August, that summer of 1776. 
And uh, George Washington is a very slippery character, uh, historically speaking. He's hard to understand. And I should really read a, a thorough biography about him, maybe, to try to understand more about who he was. He's such an interesting character because, on one hand, he was this incredibly incompetent general who lost every battle he fought in, practically. Even before the revolution, I mean, he lost battles. Right. Um, had, had these humiliating defeats, um, and yet he never gave up, and his men continued to follow him. I mean, yes, there were desertions, and as enlistments expired, people left Washington's army during the Revolutionary War. But even through some tough winters, uh, his men stuck with him, and that really says something about his character and his leadership ability and the cause for which they all fought for. Um, because if either any of those things were lacking, I think that the colonial militia would have abandoned him entirely. So there's something very unique and interesting about his character. Um, and he was the underdog in the Revolutionary War. The British had tens of thousands of reinforcements showing up um, on our shores hitting Staten Island, hitting these other places. They, were, um, they, they had resupply ships coming in from Europe. Uh, Washington, I mean, we, we, one of the big problems we had was uh, access to gunpowder. Mm -hmm. And this uh, book, Special Operations in the American Revolution, it details a raid that the Continental Navy did down the Bahamas, hitting a, um, essentially a British fortress that was holding all this gunpowder. They had these deep reserves of gunpowder. And uh, the, the raid itself was kind of a debacle. It, it was um, the guys who led it, the newly formed Continental Navy, it, it was almost like they, were, they freelanced that mission. It was never really authorized by the Continental Congress. Okay. So they told them, like, yeah, go south and harass the British Navy. No one ever said go to the Bahamas and launch this raid and capture gunpowder. Um, it was kind of at the ambition of, of the um, – and his name's in the book. I'd have to pull it up. They went, and, they went and did this raid, and they captured all this gunpowder, and then came back, and that would have been fine in of itself. Maybe he would have gotten away with it, but then they decided to harass a bunch of British naval ships on the way back and kind of got their asses handed to them. <laughs> um, so the, the, the commander of the American Navy, fledging, fledgling American Navy, was removed after that, and, and a new guy took over. And then another um, profile in the book is uh, John Paul Jones, who went over to France and he met with Ben Franklin and, um, and Adams, John Adams. And uh, Adams found him to be an eccentric, irregular figure um, and maybe not really trustworthy. And John Paul Jones, I mean, it was another kind of like, like Benedict Arnold, very um, ambitious, overly so, to the point that it was like an ego thing for him. And uh, John Paul Jones went and launched some raids on British soil <laughs> back in his home in, in Scotland, Oops. and um, which were not very effective, but they did kind of put the fear of God into the British. It was like, oh, my God, the Americans are hitting us where we live and kind of freaked out about it. And then he sailed around uh, around Ireland to escape um, the British uh, forces that were out looking for them. And it was just on one hand, very daring. On the other hand, a bit of a clown show. Uh, and it's interesting when you read about the American Revolution because that's kind of a, a common running right. theme through what the American forces were doing. I mean, we had this audacity and bravery, but also 
Kind of a fucking joke. Yeah, certainly. Uh, <laughs> and what George Washington was doing was, uh, I mean, kind of losing every time in every battle. And the battle for New York is a good example of this, is that one thing that Washington had and one thing we had going for us as Americans was strategic depth. And what that means is that we had this big-ass country that there was always somewhere to retreat to. <laughs> Even if you got backed up against a body of water, as long as you could get boats over to your position, you could retreat somewhere else. You could just keep retreating and keep retreating until you've exhausted the British forces who have to keep chasing after right, you. Right. And so no one really knew. I mean, after the Brits had some defeats uh, with uh, the um, capture of uh, Fort um, Ticonderoga, um, there were some other defeats down south. We kind of knew that they were going to attack New York City. It was a major economic hub at the time, as it continues to be for different reasons. So the battle for New York City was coming, and we just didn't know, was General Howe going to land his forces on New York City, or would he land on Long Island? Um, he, did, he did land his forces on Long Island. The battle for Long Island was fought, also known as the battle for Brooklyn. Um, General Howe also launched a uh, kind of a, a bit of a surprise attack going through uh, the, I believe it's called the Jamaica Pass. So Jamaica was, Jamaica, Queens was basically a swamp at the time, or at least much of it was, and there's just a narrow footpath. Uh, and there's this guy, an American guy uh, named Knowlton, who led an irregular force, um, who was pulled in, and they served as light infantry during the battle for New York. Um, they could have been employed, according to uh, Tonsetic's book, employed as a, a guerrilla force and could have defended this Jamaica Pass, which is it was just a narrow footpath through the swamp from what I, I, I've read. Um, but they were employed as light infantry, and Howe kind of pulled a, a bold maneuver by taking his forces through this pass and uh, creeping up on Washington's forces. So now you're at this position where... Uh, British infantry has pushed Washington up against the East River. And meanwhile, you have um, British naval forces trying to get up the East River, and they were facing unfavorable winds um, and couldn't do it. And also down at Battery Park in Governor's Island, you had uh, cannons and, and, and all batteries there that were shooting at the British. And what George Washington had to do was he left all the campfires um, lit, in his camps in Brooklyn and they called every ship and every rowboat that they could find in, in New York to evacuate Patriot forces. And it was something wild. It was like, uh, I have it in here somewhere. It, it was like 20,000 troops or something like that, that he evacuated that night without losing a man. And that's impressive. Evacuated to Manhattan. So, Eventually, General Howe, uh, they get their forces, uh, they chase Washington into Manhattan. Um, Washington uh, had a, a home, uh, it was a, a, a high point out in Harlem Heights, where he was based out of at the time after that. And I've actually been up there. That place still exists to this day. You can go and visit it. A friend of, a friend of mine got married there. Um, and Howe chased them up. The, the, the patriots, the militia, American militia, um, discipline broke down in a lot of ways. 
Um, you had a lot of desertions. Knowlton's forces uh, came forward, and um, he, Knowlton was one of our more competent officers, Patriot officers, um, and he um, launched this um, brave attack against the British and was actually killed at that time. Um, and it, as he was dying, he was telling his, his uh, subordinates not to let the British capture his body and to get him, evacuate him back to friendly lines. Um, sadly, he died during that attack. Um, There's a couple other battles fought, um, you know, running battles through Harlem. Uh, and then finally, uh, Washington and the remaining Patriot forces evacuated um, across the, the river into the Bronx. And then there's the battle for White Plains was fought. And after that, what you had was uh, Washington continuing to retreat further, further north. And uh, that winter, um, he's launched kind of um, what was called a foraging war. So Westchester County was kind of neutral ground where I'm from. Um, But you had the British going north, um, trying to forage and and essentially um, reappropriate cattle and, and grain and food and things like that over the winter. And Washington would send harassing forces after the British, both in New York and across the Hudson River in New Jersey, basically to just like break their balls. Um, <laughs> I like that move. Yeah. And, and it happened again. The, the British launched a, uh, a, another attack in Peekskill and the, the commander, the Patriot commander there basically evacuated as many supplies as he could and then just set fire to the town to deny them any kind of um, uh, relief there. And it went through that, through that winter, they continued to do that. And what it did was it kind of prevented um, them from taking new ground. Um, it slowed down the British forces and General Howe was not able to begin offensive operations until the summer because his forces were so exhausted from that whole conflict throughout the winter. So, it's a very interesting history to read. And like I said, um, I, maybe I'm not the best uh, historian or, or uh, as good at telling this tale as I'd like, but I did write it all down and it'll be published on the website over the next couple of days. And if you want to learn more, you should also check out this book, Special Operations During the American Revolution. A friend of mine, uh, retired uh, JSOC Sergeant Major, recommended this book to me and uh, I picked it up and I'm like two thirds of the way through it. Um, read right now, reading about Francis Mary and the Swamp Fox, uh, down in the Southern frontier Hell of a nickname. Yeah. He was a very interesting guy. Um, it was really, really well-researched and interesting book. So, uh, I think the American revolution is, uh, is just a fascinating story. It's not really my necessarily my area of, uh, history or area of expertise, but, uh, I'm definitely interested in learning more about it. And uh, I've really enjoyed reading this book so far. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about it since this is the 4th of July episode. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's it's George Washington. The guy, you know, it's him and Abe Lincoln are like the, the first two presidents you learn about from kindergarten onward. Um, the two things that, that, that jump out to me, I've already read the article. Um, one, I'm gonna read the article on your own time. But how you talk about how he basically loses every, like, yeah, how George Washington's this, you know, he's a founding father. He's, you know, the face of America. 
and you know he kind of was a shitty general. <laughs> like, yeah, he was not a he was not a, a very talented general. Um, but he, there is something about him, something some personal quality uh, that he he had grit or and or integrity that led people to follow him. Yeah, maybe he was just a phenomenal speaker. Like he could just rally the troops. Um, it's an intangible quality. I mean, it's a thing about leadership. It's something that can't really be right. taught. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. I remember that, um, uh, that quote that the Vietnamese general told McNamara when he visited Vietnam after the war and McNamara said something like, you know, we, you know, we won every battle in Vietnam and this Vietnamese general looked at him and was like, yes, that's true, but it's also irrelevant. <laughs> and, and that was what happened with George Washington was that he lost every battle practically, but he won the war. Um, and there's just something, something to be said about that kind of determination. Um, and General Howe was not a, um, he could be brutal, but he wasn't a savage. Um, he was willing to let the Patriot forces surrender and said like, look, there will be reconciliation. Like you guys had your fun. Right. Now you knock it the fuck off. You come back to the good guy's side, you come back to the British side, and all will be forgiven. And I picture it like, a, like as you were just describing it, how you said they, you know, we had this, we had this land to retreat to. And I almost pictured it like, um, like a big brother and a little brother, where the little brother's just annoying. And the big brother's just chasing him around. The little brother's just running. And finally, the big brother's just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, get, get away. Like, I don't want to deal with you anymore. And that, I mean... That had the, the British felt like that, like you know, I was chasing, I was chasing. It's like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, George, cut it out, man. At yeah. some point, he's like, like you're a nuisance more than anything. And it's funny to picture that, like, you know, he's like, it. It seemed like how was always two steps ahead, and but it was like at the end of the day, George was like, all right, let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> let's yeah, and just wore them down, wore them down, and exhausted their resources. Um, so yeah, it's a fascinating conflict to study and. You know, Americans do have this background in unconventional and irregular warfare, and it's something that I think we've become so institutionalized that we struggle to regain. Um, we were incredibly good at it at, at, at this time, and maybe because we've lost some of our frontier culture, I think we really struggle, the, the Army and U.S. Special Forces, we struggle to reacquire some of these skills. Um, yeah. We have problems with it. But I think also uh, I would recommend people go and watch that series uh, about John Adams um, and some of the conversations. I think it was an HBO series. I was going to say Paul Giamatti was, yeah. was John Adams. Yeah, and, uh, the, the, and some of the conversations in that series between Adams and Jefferson are just fascinating because it, especially the way they're filmed too, and they're 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 looking at each other, having these very sharp conversations, mm-hmm. like ideological debates. And the reason why that matters is because some of these questions about the federal system um, and about freedom and what that is, these ideological debates are still with us today. Right, that's the uh, crazy thing. Yeah, they're still with us today, and we're still having debates about things like states' rights. What does that mean? Uh, should we be subservient to the federalized system? I mean, wh- wh- what is the answer? And I'm, I'm not necessarily here to give you the, na- the answer today, but the questions are certainly still with us, and we, we haven't entirely figured it out. No. I love the, the founding fathers, the 
how it still holds true to uh, as as you're saying. It is just it's one of the more patriotic things I feel like. Like you know that the, the uh, they write the Declaration of Independence and it's like this is going to hold true for as long as we're going to be a country. And it's it's revered today. It's I mean this uh, is this I is mean, the Fourth of July episode, so let's get patriotic. And I mean, these people were characters too. I mean, John Hancock sign, signing his signature as big as he could <laughs> yes. because he wanted King George to see it. And John Hancock was basically like a, a he was like a fucking pirate, basically. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the thing that like it's he, he was, under the rug. He was the biggest smuggler on the Eastern Seaboard. <laughs> you get these. You get the characters is the perfect word for them. You get these guys that were like, you know, fuck the British rule. Like, let's go to America. We'll do our own thing, and it. And these are the guys that we look up, like you talked at the beginning of this, was um, freedom and how that still holds true today. Like we, yeah. like, we love this freedom because these guys love freedom. And it's like being there, I would... And Jefferson was a, a, a brilliant intellectual, also completely eccentric. I mean, he, le- he left Washington after his presidency feeling like he failed. He, he felt like... He, he felt like the world was not ready for to be free yet. That's how he left and office. Oh, there were so many great characters. Fucking Ben Fran- Ben Franklin founded electricity, flying a kite. Yeah, like that's like what kind of maniac? <laughs> I bet he did a Franklin wasn't he wasn't eccentric. Character. I bet he was licking yeah. toads. I bet he was doing some ayahuasca. It wouldn't surprise me. You don't you don't come up with you don't concoct an idea like let's tie a let's tie a kite. To a key in a thunderstorm and see what comes of it. He invented bifocals. That, uh, yeah, there were there were some great a weirdos, and these are our heroes. These are the guys that got us to where we are today. Well, I mean, it was a rugged life, you know, for sure. Uh, a colonial frontier life. Um, winters were very tough. It was a, an agrarian society. We were very dependent on on crops. We had our conflicts with the Indians, which is a whole other topic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we weren't very nice to them, and at times they weren't very nice to us, <laughs> you know, and, and that went back and forth. But there's also a history of cooperation there. But, I mean, between disease and warfare, I mean, we essentially deconstructed that entire culture and destroyed it. Um, so it's kind of sad. But Especially, I mean, you're from Westchester. I'm from Orange County. There is a rich history of Native Americans in the New York state or tri-state area as a whole. Oh yeah. States. Oh yeah. I mean, and, and some of the names of uh, places around here are, yeah. are native American. Um, man, I read, I read this account. I can't remember where I read this in a, in a book, but it was, uh, it was a, a woman, like an, um, a, an aristocratic woman somewhere in Westchester. And she was walking around with a parasail, you know, women had those yeah, little yeah, umbrellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had a native American scrotum and balls hanging from what it. The yeah. Fuck? Dude, there's the fucking ruthless shit going on back in those days. Yeah. Like they, like we would go and kill their oh. children. They would retaliate, come back and kill our kids. Like it was, it was fucked up. Yeah. But to have some highbrow woman just twirling nuts on, yeah. her, on her parasail. Yeah. And like, like this book, the Tonsetic book, it, he talks about like before, the colonials came, um, the native Americans did war with each other and killed each other, but there were like norms of warfare and they, it was typically warriors killing one another. Right. Right. Um, they were, they would ceremony, uh, sir, they would, um, ceremoniously murder prisoners like the, the warriors okay. that they captured. They were, that was their fate to, to be killed, ritualistically killed. But 
the Native Americans would very rarely would women and children be killed and mm-hmm. like the scorched earth, like burning down the villages, like that usually, that was very rare. That didn't normally happen. But then when we came to town, the norms of warfare got changed and it, it was fucking brutal, man. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. No, I mean, I don't think anybody, I remember, I mean, like I remember growing up uh, elementary school, you know, you talk about the Native Americans and it was like, you learn about like wigwams and like all the, wampum. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And shit like that. And they kind of just glossed over the fact that we almost eliminated them completely. It was like, oh yeah. And, and then what if we like, oh, here, you guys can run casinos now. Like it really kind of fucked up what we Well, yeah. I mean, in, in going to school here in New York, I mean, we learn about the Jewish Holocaust in Europe. Like every year, yeah, in yeah social for studies. sure, absolutely. Not so much time spent on the genocide nope. of the uh, American Indians. Nope, nope. Mostly because I think it was us that they don't want to paint us in a bad light. So it's like we'll just eliminate that portion of the textbook. But like the Holocaust, because you got you can you can paint Hitler. I mean, Hitler is one of the worst people yeah. ever. So you you've got the poster boy. Like here's the asshole. Right. Like when you, when you talk about the Native Americans. It's like, what does the teacher do? Just like hold up a mirror? Like, yeah. here's the bad people. And in World War II, we were, that's why we love World War II as Americans. Like, all, all these movies made about yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Captain America, all this stuff. Because it's easy, because like, here's the, the very yeah. obvious bad yeah. guy. And we were very clearly the good guys. Yeah. Not, yeah. So, not so much with the Native Americans, which, which sucked. Because their culture is so fascinating. I mean, I, you said wampum, but like, I get a kick out of, not a kick's not the right word, but like, the Native Americans grew corn, or as they called it, maize. maize. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's shit. Cornucopias. Like I remember, I'm not trying to make fun of the Native Americans. It's just the way we're taught about it. Oh yeah, it's 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 very it's very superficial. It's like but the um the museum in uh, Phillipsburg Manor, which is right down the street from where I grew up as a kid. Okay, I'm familiar. My dad worked there. No kidding. Yeah. Um. Actually, my mom worked there too. Uh. I remember going down there, and they had the little like museum area, and it was like the thing where is um like the silhouette puppets. And like you go and press the button, and it oh, lights yeah, up and it in lights the background. Up, yeah, and they tell the story, and they're like Katrina Van Tassel, and she has her parasail walking down the street with nuts on it. Uh, th- th- that was omitted. The, the balls are yeah, on probably there. probably for the best. Uh, yeah. No, and I feel bad because like um, Dutch settlers came in 1664. Because <laughs> I like uh, first off, they got awesome, uh, great clothing. Every time I go, like. If I'll go to like a beer fest in the fall, like up in Bear Mountain or something like that, um, they always have like a Native American tent. I, I can't tell you how many um, ponchos I have. I and like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, it's probably a drunken purchase, but they are, like they are incredibly <laughs> warm. It, oh, I, they're one of my favorite things. My buddy buys a wolf, like, and they, and they're greatly made. But then you just kind of feel like you look at them and you could tell that they. Like, you ever see those T-shirts where it's just, like, the Native Americans is like, you stole our land? And you're like, <laughs> fuck, man. You guys, like, really guilting me about this, you know, my shitty ancestors here. Well, yeah, man. I mean, well, look at, you know, life on the res um, for a lot of Native Americans. I, they're, they're impoverished. They have problems with drugs. And, I mean, I think a lot of it is because their culture was destroyed. Cool. And th- this is what they've been left with. Um, so, yeah, it's a sad, fucked-up history. Um and it's and the thing I like too is like the, it. You say Native Americans, but there's so many different tri- like. Oh yeah, you like the yeah. Mohawks, the Algonquins, Iroquois, and, and they are not monolithic. Uh, nor nor was their civilization utopian. It's important to remember that. Like they fought each other too. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was not a utopian culture, but at the same time, I mean, 
we we kind of came in and just ravaged, uh, you know, what they had. But I'm glad it's not funny, but I'm glad that they glossed over it to like that because the older you get, the more you're, you're, you're like, like you that's kind of messed teaching up. Teaching this in school, what a what a rose colored memory of like the settlers, how we got here. That, like that, Thanksgiving is yeah, kind of like, Oh yeah. The pilgrims and Indians, like we're all sitting at the same table. Back, back when I was a kid, I mean, we still had, we, we used to take the construction paper and you'd oh, be able yeah. to make the headdress the, the with, the, buckle. with the feathers. Oh, yeah. Well, the hand, you do the handprint for the turkeys. Oh, that for sure. But I mean, we would dress up like Indians Yeah, I don't, for the thing. I don't think you could get away with that now. No, I used to, um, I would, I, I have an ex-girlfriend who was an elementary school teacher and you're not allowed to call you. It's not even called Indian style anymore. Yeah, you can't, you can't say yeah. Indian style. Yeah, when my daughter went to school, it would say crisscross Criss applesauce. applesauce. Yeah, you can't I'm say like, what Indian the hell style. Is that? We no, we said, God damn it! When I was <laughs> yeah, in school, back in my day, we sat Indian style, like it or not. Take that PC crap and shove it up your ass. Yeah, we really uh, we did a number on the um, on the Indians. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm not in favor of like, like here's another example. So the Tappan Zee Bridge. Renamed fucking Mario Cuomo Bridge through the Tappan Zee Bridge, it gave homage to both the Dutch settlers and the Native Americans. It, it was a, there's a whole story about the Tappan Zee and, and what that is. But anyway, um, renaming it the Mario Cuomo like with respect to our Italian American community, <laughs> our Italian American politicians. Um, and there were there were Italian uh, Italian explorers, Verrazano, and all these other characters um, in this area. But like, I don't think we should like whitewash Na- Native Americans out of our vocabulary either. No, oh, and that's a whole other topic because that that's the thing too. Is like uh, my mother goes on. My mother's turning into one of those like old ladies where <laughs> like she really gets into it. But how? Um, Columbus Circle, they they like want to get rid of the Columbus statue because that's of bullshit. And it's like, guys, yeah, he was a terrible person, but like, it, it, he still existed. Like, you you can't just erase history. It's a part of it's a part of our history. Like, like it or wh- not. wear the wear the black eye. Yeah, or talk about it on both sides. Like, look, he founded America. He did this. He did X, Y, and Z. But in the same time, he also you know did some bad stuff. I mean, obviously, you don't teach a little kids that, but you don't. It's almost like how, like if you go to Germany, nothing from the Nazi regime. Like you, they don't even they just pretend that. There, like, there are some things they kept up though. Like, um, didn't they keep part of the Reichstag up? I think so. And also Auschwitz that they were gonna like yeah, yeah, flatten yeah. it, but they kept it. Like, no, no, people need yeah, to like, like. Yeah, they need to see this. Like, yeah. you guys did a very horrible thing. Um, I mean, we were talking to Miles the last episode about Columbia, uh, Columbia College. Mm-hmm. So here's another interesting thing, going back to the Battle of New York. Before it was Columbia, it was called King's College, and it was actually downtown Manhattan. Uh, and after um, the British came here, uh, came into Manhattan, Washington fled, um, Nathan Hale was sent here as a spy to spy on British forces, um, he was captured and executed. He's the one who's famous for saying, my only regret is that one I have life? Yeah. one life to give for my country. There was a, a big fire um, uh, that raged across um, like two-thirds of Manhattan, destroyed everything. Yeah. And um, I, I believe it also burned down King's College. Um, 
and there's a, it's very controversial even to this day who started that fire. Some people think it was Nathan Hale. I, I, it probably wasn't. Both George Washington and General Howe, th- neither one of them believed in like total war, but they were both like, no, we should not scorch the earth. Mm-hmm. So it's very unlikely that they gave orders for anyone to okay. do that. Um, but nonetheless, this fire did break out. And, uh, and then after the war... King's College decided, well, we don't really want to be named after King George anymore. What's a more suitable American name? And they settled on Christopher Columbus, <laughs> and that's where Columbia comes from. Whoops. Yeah. So how do they feel about that? I mean, now it's, it's been around for, for years. Cultural appropriation. You know, all, I don't know. I'm not about, like, whitewashing the past and trying to pretend it didn't happen. Um, and that's why I was totally against all those, all those kids tearing down Civil War statues. And I knew, I knew, and I, I was right. Uh, after they did that, after the Civil War statue thing, the next thing, they're coming after Jefferson. They're coming after Washington. They're coming after Columbus. Because these people who are of that, whatever you want to call them, social justice warriors or whatever, they're trying to fill a hole inside themselves. And that hole is so deep, it can never be filled. So they will not rest until they completely dismantle and destroy the entire culture. And all of our founding fathers have to go because so many of them were slave owners. They were almost almost all of them, like two thirds of them were. And and we should not bullshit ourselves about that. Jefferson owned slaves. Uh, You know, we should acknowledge that and learn from it and move on from that. And like, okay, that was like a fucked up part of our history. And, you know, we went through a very painful experience with the Civil War and uh, the Civil Rights Movement, went through a painful experience there, and, like, we should acknowledge our own evolution as a society and embrace that, but while also embracing where we came from. Uh, I, I don't believe in all that that, oh, that revisionist you. history. I'm with you 100%. You almost just want to hand them, like, an open book and be like, here, you, you write, and, we'll, and you guys tell your story, and we'll tell the truth. Well, it's that Howard Zinn interpretation of history, that, that, um, that Marxist interpretation of American history, uh, that is just all the horrible things we've done. And some, we have done some horrible things, but what gets lost in that, with that Howard Zinn shit is that all the great positive things that we've done through our history. Which completely overshadows, in my eyes, like the bad. And the documents and, and the philosophy of John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and what George Washington fought for and the signing of our Constitution was the framework that later on the African-American community could lean on and say, hey, this document says freedom for all men. This Bill of Rights here, where the fuck are our rights? Yeah, so we're all it, men. It, it gave them the, the um, philosophical and legal scaffolding to point towards and say that this, the, the, these founding documents say we should be granted our freedoms. That's a great point. Uh, so, yeah, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater here. You know, there's a lot to be said for our, our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and the people who fought and died for it. Um, one la- I want to end. <laughs> we, we went down a dark road. Um, this is the fourth. Talking about yeah. scrotums on parasails. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that, that wasn't really that dark. That was more, that was just a weird visual, but I'm going to give you another weird. Visual. I'm here for you. I'm here for you, Dennis. <laughs> I'm going to give you another weird visual. Cause, um, as I read your article and as you, as you retold it, the thing for me is, uh, I got a weird mind, obviously. And I pictured, uh, like, as you, you know, you're telling all these, 
these places are still named after what they are today. So, like, you're talking about, like, Jamaica, Queens, and, like, the Gowanus Bridge, and, like, yeah. well, the bridge wasn't there, but, like, Gowanus and all these areas. And I'm picturing, like, you, um, I, I would hope you've never seen it, and I haven't either, but uh, do you know that there was the movie Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter? <laughs> no. All right, well, they, they made a movie about it. I guess I'm I, I assuming the premise was it was Abe Lincoln as a vampire hunter, probably, right? I'm picturing, like, a movie. Like, you take George Washington, like, the Revolutionary War, but you set it in, like, today's New York City. So, like, you, these guys are setting up the battles, and, like, they're going up the East River, and everybody's, like, looking out these buildings, and they're just like, what the fuck is going on? As, like, as I'm reading, that's what, like... That's my weird brain in work right now, but like that's what, like because you you read like you in well I'm not gonna give away, but some of the areas you mentioned like Red Hook, so like they didn't they never rename these places like these places are what their names are. So like as I'm reading your article, I'm just picturing like you know you're picturing like I don't know if you me- I mean it's not in but like if you mentioned Wall Street like I don't picture Wall Street as like the cobblestone like grass road that it, well, that it, it was. If you go downtown, I, I believe uh, Stone Street. Stone Street is still Stone. And, and that's the oldest street yeah, yeah. in New York City. Yep. You ever, um, I know you're a drinker. You ever drink at the, uh, I believe it's called the Ear Inn? It's no. It's like right, um, it's actually down by the, the CBS, by like where WFAN is. Um, you're talking about Lincoln Center? Uh, like Soho. Oh, okay. Um, the Houston stop on the one less than a block from there but it's they claim that it's the oldest bar in america i, oh, know, no I know philly philly lays claim to to one too i thought mcsorley's tries to play that off too no Mc, mcsorley's what's their deal or maybe it is mcsorley's and that's the discrepancy but mcsorley's they, is good bar i like that oh Mc, is that the light in the dark yeah, yeah. sawdust on the floor uh-huh. yeah that is a fun bar um but the ear in claims they're the oldest bar and then like I don't want to say George Washington, but somebody used to live like live above it during during the Revolutionary War. I don't think it was George Washington because that's a that's a huge claim. But they have all this like documentation about it. But it's like, and they've tried to preserve it as best. Obviously, you got to keep right. up somewhat. We should go there sometime after work. Have a beer. We'll do. Have we'll a get, brewski. Get your buddy. Uh, get your buddy Josh. Josh yeah. can drink. Believe me. I just from hearing him. It sounded, he was like, when are you getting your ass? He's like, I already got the paperwork and filled I, out for I, you. I'll have like a couple beers. Uh, Josh, he, he, like the Jameson shots come out. It's like, oh, fuck. That's, that's what kills me. That's what kills Because I, I never say no to him because I'm, 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 peer pressure gets me every time. And that's why and that's why he says, like, I don't think you remember the way back. Like, yeah. You're, well, I had buddies. I wonder why, in, Josh. Yeah. I had buddies live in Hoboken. And, I, and then you're saying, like, I don't know how to traverse the, the subway system. I'm like, I had the same, because I would live in Woodlawn, which is like the Upper East Side of the Bronx. So to go from Hoboken to, to the to the end of the Bronx like that, we had a we had a Christmas party one year in the Bowery, and uh, there's there's this drink called uh, the Toki Highball. It's a Japanese drink. It's like an old man's drink. I can't remember what's in it. It's like club soda or, or something, a specific kind of like seltzer, and maybe there's like gin in it or whiskey. I can't remember. But anyway, I had like eight of them. And I have no fucking clue how I got home. I don't remember anything after six. And, and I'm not totally familiar with that area downtown yeah, either. So like, like I how I got on the subway, I really don't know. Which is crazy. Like, I mean, obviously you can handle yourself. Like, I'm a big enough guy. But like, there's, there's been times I blacked out with like friends, like girlfriends of mine, and I'm just like, the next day I'm like, like this was, what are we doing? This is, so, you could have been in some serious danger. Like, we have no idea where we are. <laughs> 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 uh, well, you know. That's New York City for you. I only drink one day a week now on Saturdays. I was going to say what day? Saturdays. I only drink on Saturdays. I'm like uh, like Rust Cole and True Detective. Oh. Like, 
Uh, Saturdays. Thanks, thanks for fucking wasting my. <laughs> I start drinking at eleven. Don't fuck this up for me. <laughs> Is it Lone Star? Is that what you're drinking? No, no. The sixteen ounce on the rings, like I, rust. I, I, this last Saturday, I had a, a bunch of uh, Narragansett. Um, are you a Shandy guy? I'm not. I'm not. No, not traditionally. So my uh, my best friend opened his pool this weekend. Whole long debate. Should have been opened already, but the pool company, whatever. Um, so he opened the pool this weekend. So we're all over. So we were there. We did a, a Saturday and a Sunday. And my, my one friend brings Narragansett, but he brings Narragansett and Shandies. Normally, I'm not, a, I'm not a Shandy guy by any stretch. I don't hate on them, but they're, they're too, like, sweet for me. These tasted just like Italian ices, like lemon. Like, to the point where I was like, dude, Joe, this is good. He was like, I know. He's like, I only got a 12-pack. And they were gone, like, immediately. Wow. But Nar- Narragansetts are very good beers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, well, now we're talking about beers. Uh, so... Uh, happy Independence Day. USA. USA. Thank, thank USA. the founding fathers. Uh, don't forget to, don't whitewash the history. We embrace the ugly on this podcast. Um, if that, you don't like George Washington, you're a communist. Basically. And go listen to some other podcast. I don't want you here no more. Yeah. Look, you know, if George was here today, you know what he would do? The first thing he would do, he'd log on to Amazon. He would buy Murphy's Law. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing that guy would do. Uh, secondly, he would take us down to the ear in and he would, he would settle the debate if it was McSorley's or the ear in, which, which beer was poured first. Thirdly, he would come on this podcast and he would talk about all the great battles that he lost <laughs> and explain to us how he was able, how he was able to win the revolutionary war being such a bad general. And it would open your guys' eyes. If anybody knows a, a, a well-researched, well-written biography of George Washington Write in, let me know. I, I, need to, I need to go a little bit more in-depth and read a book that's actually dedicated toward, towards his life. All right. Well, that was the suggestion, so please do that. Um, write in anyway. Leave us, leave us good reviews. Leave five-star reviews for, for Jack's book, Murphy's Law. By the way, uh, Joe, really stealing my thunder. The plug is my move. That's, that's my thing. I plug the book, Joe. Um, but no, we want to thank Joe. We want to thank your friend Josh for coming on. Uh, I hope you guys have a safe and happy 4th of July. Don't uh, light firework. Light fireworks off properly with the, with the right supervision. Don't drink and drive. Oh, definitely. Yeah, this is like the worst weekend. Well, don't ever do it. Every weekend's the worst weekend. But Don't shoot bottle rockets out of your ass. Don't do anything stupid. Oh, you ever play bottle rocket roulette with your friends? No, we, sir. No, no. <laughs> oh, you know. It's one of the dumbest things I've ever done. I don't know. When I was in the Army, me and. I'm uh, sure you guys did some dumb shit. Me and my shit. buddy Alex. Uh, we had a Roman candle fight. That, that's uh, called bottle rocket. Yeah, Roman candle fight. That, yeah. that was basically playing Russian roulette. So, I, I, I'm lucky so that I still stupid. have my eyesight. Yeah. It is one of the dumbest things you can do as a friend group. Yeah, so drink responsibly. There's Ubers. There's a subway system if you're in Hoboken. You can find your way back. <laughs> Even if you can't remember your way <laughs> yeah. home. You can, write, you can write it into, hey, guys, we live the same story. Um, but no, thank you, to, thank you to Joe. Thank you to Josh. Thank you to you guys for listening. I hope your 4th of July is as patriotic as ours will be. Uh, we will see you episode 430, 430, 472. Next week. Next week. Um, I'm going to get some ad reads out of the way, so I hope you guys don't mind. Be sure to check out Crate Club. It's a club for men by men of gear handpicked by special operations veterans. All tier crates are available at crateclub.us. And right now, we are running an extremely limited promotion, 20% off, for all Soft Rep Radio listeners. 
This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long this promotion will last. So get on it right now. That's CrateClub.us, coupon code SOFREP, for 20% off your subscription for all crates. Sign up today. Also, as a reminder to you, the listener, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel. Our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content. The Spec Ops channel premiere show, Training Cell, follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. Sign up today. Last, if you're not already signed up at the News Rep, you got to get on board. There's expert reporting and actionable intelligence from your favorite writers you've heard on here, like Jack Murphy, Stavros, old Joe Lefebvre we had on earlier, uh, and there's many other guest writers who pop in as well. You get unlimited access to News Rep on any device. You get unlimited access to the app. You get to join the War Room community. There's invitations to our exclusive events, and it is all ad-free for members. There's a trial offer up right now where you get four weeks for only $1.99. Sign up now at thenewsrep.com. That's thenewsrep.com. By the way, if you're not aware, we have our own SoftRep Radio app that you can download for free on iPhone or Android. And our homepage is softrepradio.com, where you can see our full archive of shows. As always, keep up with us at social media at SoftRep Radio as well. Episode 471 in the books. We will see you guys for 472. Happy 4th of July. Be safe out there. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.